Chapter Nine of Gunsight Pass: How Oil Came to the Cattle Country and Brought a New West by William McLeod Rain. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Gunsight Pass. The pursuit took the riders across a wide, undulating plain above which danced the dry heat of the desert. Lizards sunned themselves on flat rocks. A rattlesnake slid toward the cover of a prickly pear. The bleached bones of a cow shone white beside the trail. The throats of the cowpunchers filled with alkali dust, and their eyes grew red and sore from it. Magnificent mirages unfolded themselves. Lakes cool and limpid stretched to the horizon with inviting forests in the distance. An oasis of lush green fields that covered miles mesquite distorted to the size of giant trees and cattle transformed into dinosaurs the great gray desert took on freakish shapes of erosion always hour after hour beneath a copper sky they rode in palpitating heat through sand drifts among the salt bushes and the creosote into cow-backed hills beyond which the stark mountains rose out of the fiery furnace of the plain they came in late afternoon to the uplands plunging into a land of deep gorges and great chasms here manzanita grew and live oaks flourished they sent a white-tailed buck crashing through the brush into a canyon when night fell they built a fire of niggerheads and after they had eaten found its glow grateful for they were well up in the hills now and the night air was sharp in the sandy desert they had followed easily the trail of the thieves, but as they got into the hills the tracks had become fainter and fewer. The young men discussed this while they lay in their blankets in a water-gutted gulch not too near the fire they had built. "'Like hunting for a needle in a haystack,' said Bob. "'Their trail's done petered out. They might be in any one of the hundred pockets right close, or they may have bore way off to the right all they gotta do is hole up and not build any fires fat chance we got admitted dave unless they build a fire like we done say i'd a heap rather be sleepin here than by that niggerhead blaze tonight. they might creep up and try to gun us before they had been in the saddle an hour the next day the trail of the thieves was lost the pursuers spent till sunset trying to pick it up again the third day was wasted in aimless drifting among the defiles of the mountains. "'No use, Bob,' said his friend while they were cooking supper. "'They've made their getaway. Might as well drift back to Malapi, don't you reckon?' "'Looks like. We're only wasting our time here.' Long before day broke, they started. The canyons below were filled with mist as they rode down out of the mountains toward the crystal dawn that already flooded the plain. The courthouse clock at Malapi said the time was midnight when the dust-covered men and horses drew into town. The tired men slept till noon. At the Delmonico restaurant they found Buck Byington and Steve Russell. The trail herd had been driven in an hour before. "'How's old Alkali?' asked Dave of his friend Buck, thumping him on the back. "'Jess Tollable,' answered the old-timer equably, making great play with knife and fork. A man or a hoss don't either one amount to much after they once been stove up. Since that bronc piled me at Willow Creek, I've been mighty stiff, you might say. Doug's paying off today, boys, Russell told them. 
You'll find him round to the Boston Emporium. The foreman settled first with Hart, after which he turned to the page in his pocket notebook that held the accounts of Sanders. You drew one month's pay. That leaves you three months, less the week you fooled away after the Pinto. Correct, admitted Dave. I'll dock you seven and a half for that. Three times thirty's ninety. Take seven and a half from that leaves eighty-two fifty. Hold on, objected Dave. My pay's thirty-five a month. First I knew of it, said the foreman, eyes bleak and harsh. Thirty's what you're getting. I came in as a top hand at thirty-five. You did not, denied Doble flatly. The young man flushed. You can't run that on me, Doug. I'll not stand for it. Eighty-two fifties what you get, answered the other dogmatically. You can take it or go to hell. He began to sort out a number of small checks with which to pay the puncher. At that time, the currency of the country consisted largely of cattlemen's checks, which passed from hand to hand till they were grimy with dirt. Often these were not cashed for months later. "'We'll see what the old man says about that,' retorted Dave hotly. "'It was in his mind to say that he did not intend to be robbed by both the Doble brothers, but he wisely repressed the impulse.' Doug would as soon fight as eat, and the young rider knew he would not have a chance in the world against him. "'All right,' sneered the foreman. "'Run with your tale of grief to Crawford. Tell him I've been picking on you. I hear you've got to be quite a pet of his.' This brought Dave up with a short turn. He could not take advantage of the service he had done the owner of the D-Bar Lazy R to ask him to interfere on his behalf with the foreman. Doble might be cynically defrauding him of part of what was due him in wages. Dave would have to fight that out with him for himself. The worst of it was that he had no redress. Unless he appealed to the cattlemen, he would have to accept what the foreman offered. Moreover, his pride was touched. He was young enough to be sensitive on the subject of his ability to look out for himself. "'I'm no pet of anybody,' he flung out. Give me that money. It ain't a square deal, but I reckon I can stand it. I reckon you'll have to. It's neck meat or nothing, grunted the foreman. Doble counted him out eighty dollars in cattlemen's checks and paid him two fifty in cash. While Dave signed a receipt, the hook-nosed foreman, broad shoulders thrown back and thumbs hitched in the armholes of his vest, sat at ease in the tilted chair and grinned maliciously at his victim. He was putting something over on him, and he wanted Dave to know it. Doug had no affection for his half-brother, but he resented the fact that Sanders publicly and openly despised him as a crook. He took it as a personal reflection on himself. Still smoldering with anger at this high-handed proceeding, Dave went down to the Longhorn Corral and saddled his horse. He had promised Byington to help water the herd. This done, he rode back to town, hitched the horse back of a barber shop, and went in for a shave. Presently he was stretched in a chair, his boots thrown across the footrest in front of him. The barber lathered his face and murmured gossip in his ear. George Doble and Miller claim they're going to Denver to run some skin game at a street fair. They're sure slick guys. Dave offered no comment. You notice they didn't steal any of M. Crawford's stock. No siree. They knew better hopped away with Bronx belonging to you boys cause they knew it'd be safe. 
picked easy marks, did they? asked the puncher sardonically. The man with the razor tilted the chin of his customer and began to scrape. Well, of course you're only boys. They took advantage of that and done you a meanness. Doug Doble came into the shop, very grim about the mouth. He stopped to look down sarcastically at the new boots Sanders was wearing. I see you've bought you a new pair of boots, he said in a heavy, domineering voice. Dave waited without answering, his eyes meeting steadily those of the foreman. The big fellow laid a paper on the breast of the cowpuncher. Here's a bill for the pair of boots you charged to the old man's account. Eighteen dollars. I got it just now at the store. You'll dig up. It was the custom for riders who came to town to have the supplies they needed charged to their employers against wages due them. Doble took it for granted that Sanders had done this, which was contrary to the orders he had given his outfit. He did not know that the young man had lost his boots while rescuing Crawford and had been authorized by him to get another pair in place of them. Nor did Dave intend to tell him. There was a chance to even the score against the foreman. Already he had a plan simmering in his mind that would take him out of this part of the country for a time. He could no longer work for Doble without friction, and he had business of his own to attend to. The way to solve the immediate difficulty flashed through his brain instantly, every detail clear. It was scarcely a moment before he drawled an answer. I'll tend to it as soon as I'm out of the chair. I gave orders for none of you fellows to charge goods to the old man, said Doble harshly. Did you? Dave's voice was light and careless. You can go hunt a job somewheres else. You're through with me. I'll hate to part with you. Don't get heavy, young fella. No, answered Dave with mock meekness. Doble sat down in a chair to wait. He had no intention of leaving until Dave had settled. After the barber had finished with him, the puncher stepped across a looking-glass and adjusted carefully the silk handkerchief worn knotted loosely around the throat. "'Get a move on you,' urged the foreman. His patience, of which he never had a large supply to draw from, was nearly exhausted. "'I'm not going to spend all day on this.' "'I'm ready.' Dave followed Doble out of the shop. Apparently he did not hear the gentle reminder of the barber, who was forced to come to the door and repeat his question. "'Want that shave charged?' "'Oh, clean forgot,' Sanders turned back, feeling in his pocket for change. He pushed past the barber into the shop, slapped a quarter down on the cigar case, and ran out through the back door. A moment later he pulled the slip knot of his bridle from the kitchen bar, swung to the saddle, and spurred his horse to a gallop. In a cloud of dust he swept round the building to the road and waved a hand derisively toward Doble. "'See you later!' he shouted. The foreman wasted no breath in futile rage. He strode to the nearest hitching post and flung himself astride leather. The horse's hoofs pounded down the road in pursuit. Sanders was riding the same bronco he had used to follow the horse thieves. It had been under a saddle most of the time for a week and was far from fresh. Before he had gone a mile, he knew that the foreman would catch up with him. He was riding for Gunsight Pass. It was necessary to get there before Doble reached him. Otherwise, he would have to surrender or fight, and neither of these fitted in with his plans. Once he had heard Emerson Crawford give a piece of advice to a hot-headed and unwise puncher. 
Never call for a gun play on a bluff, son. There's no easier way to commit suicide than to pull a six-shooter you ain't willing to use. Doug Doble was what Byington called bull-headed. He had forced a situation which could not be met without a showdown. This meant that the young range rider would either have to take a thrashing or draw his forty-five and use it. Neither of these alternatives seemed worth while in view of the small stakes at issue. Because he was not ready to kill or be killed, Dave was flying for the hills. The fugitive had to use his quirt to get there in time. The steepness of the road made heavy going. As he neared the summit, the grade grew worse. The bronco labored heavily in its stride as its feet reached for the road ahead. But here Dave had the advantage. Doble was a much heavier man than he, and his mount took the shoulder of the ridge slower. By the time the foreman showed in silhouette against the skyline at the entrance to the pass, the younger man had disappeared. The D-bar Lazy R foreman found out at once what had become of him. A crisp voice gave clear directions. "'That'll be far enough. Stop right where you're at, or you'll notice trouble pop, and don't reach for your gun unless you want to hear the band begin to play a funeral piece.' The words came, it seemed to Doble, out of the air. He looked up. Two great boulders lay edge to edge beside the path. Through a narrow rift the blue nose of a forty-five protruded. Back of it glittered a pair of steady, steely eyes. The foreman did not at all like the look of things. Sanders was a good shot. From where he lay, almost entirely protected, all he had to do was pick his opponent off at his leisure. If his hand were forced, he would do it and the law would let him go scot-free since Doble was a fighting man and had been seen to start in pursuit of the boy. "'Come out of there and shell out that eighteen dollars,' demanded Doble. "'Nothing doing, Doug.' "'Don't run on the rope with me, young fella. You'll sure be hunting trouble.' "'What's the use of beefing? I got the deadwood on you. Better hit the dust back to town and explain to the boys how your bronc went lame,' advised Dave." Come down and I'll wallop the tar out of you. Much obliged. I'm right comfortable here. I've a mind to come up and dig you out. Please yourself, Doug. We'll find out then which one of us goes to hell. The foreman cursed fluently, expertly, passionately. Not in a long time had he had the turn called on him so adroitly. He promised Dave sudden death in various forms when he could lay hands upon him. "'You're sure doing yourself proud, Doug,' the young man told him evenly. "'I'll write the boys how you spilled language so thorough.' "'If I could only lay my hands on you,' the raw-boned cattleman stormed. "'I'll bet you'd massacre me proper,' admitted Dave, quite cheerfully. Suddenly Doble gave up. He wheeled his horse and began to descend the steep slope. Steadily he jogged on to town, not once turning to look back. His soul was filled with chagrin and fury at the defeat this stripling had given him. He was ready to pick a quarrel with the first man who asked him a question about what had taken place at the pass. Nobody asked a question. Men looked at him, read the menace of his sullen, angry face, and sidestepped his rage. They did not need to be told that his ride had been a failure. His manner advertised it. Whatever had taken place had not redounded to the glory of Doug Doble.
Later in the day, the foreman met the owner of the D-Bar Lazy R brand to make a detailed statement of the cost of the drive. He took peculiar pleasure in mentioning one item. "'That young scalawag Sanders beat you out eighteen dollars,' he said with a sneer of triumph. Doble had heard the story of what Dave and Bob had done for Crawford, and of how the wounded boy had been taken to the cattleman's home and nursed there. It pleased him now to score off what he chose to think was the soft-headedness of his chief. The cattleman showed interest. "'That's so, Doug. Sorry. I took a fancy to that boy. What did he do?' You know how vaqueros are always coming in and charging goods against the boss? I give out the word they was to quit it. Sanders, he gets a pair of $18 boots, then jumps the town before I find out about it. Crawford started to speak, but Doble finished his story. I took out after him, but my bronc went lame from a stone in its hoof. You'll never see that 18 plunk, Sam. It don't do to pet cow hands. "'Too bad you took all that trouble, Doug,' the old cattleman began mildly. "'The fact is, trouble. Say, I'd write to Tombstone to get a crack at that young smart aleck. I told him what I'd do to him if I ever got my fists on him.' "'So you did catch up with him?' Doug drew back sulkily within himself. He did not intend to tell all he knew about the Gunsight Pass episode. "'I didn't say when I told him.' "'That's so.' You didn't. Well, I'm right sorry you took so blame much trouble to find him. Funny, though, he didn't tell you I gave him the boots. You what? The foreman snapped the question out with angry incredulity. The ranchman took the cigar from his mouth and leaned back easily. He was smiling now, frankly. Why, yes, I told him to buy the boots and have them charged to my account. And the blame little rooster never told you, eh? Doble choked for words with which to express himself. He glared at his employer as though Crawford had actually insulted him. In an easy conversational tone, the cattleman continued, but now there was a touch of frost in his eyes. It was this way, Doug. When he and Bob knocked Steelman's plans hell west and crooked after that yellow skunk George Doble betrayed me to Brad, the boy lost his boots in the brush. Of course I said to get another pair at the store and charge them to me. I reckon he was having some fun joshing you. The foreman was furious. He sputtered with the rage that boiled inside him. But some instinct warned him that, unless he wanted to break with Crawford completely, he must restrain his impulse to rip loose. All right, he mumbled. If you told him to get him, enough said. End of chapter 9